word from our environment. Welcome to the environmental podcast that uses a word or phrase about the environment to expand our knowledge about nature and the environment. Sometimes it's more than one word, and today we have two words, energy storage. In previous episodes, we published an eight-part series on energy where we discuss broadly what it, it will take to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. Today, we will look in depth at one piece of the puzzle, battery storage, as a way to make that transition happen. To help us understand battery storage, with me today is Karina Solis, project developer for New Leaf Energy for New York State. Welcome, Karina. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me on. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to be here today, and and a little bit about the company you work for, New Leaf Energy? I have been an energy storage developer in New York City for about five years. Um, this may seem short, but really, I developed one of New York City's first energy storage projects, which I think is just up the road for me in, in Mariners Harbor. Um, my um, career experience really has centered around sustainability. So I've been working on uh, different types of energy projects and sustainable buildings. Um, as for New Leaf Energy, um, the company was born out of a 20, sorry, a 40 year development company called Borrego Solar. Um, New Leaf develops solar, wind and energy storage projects. And our mission really centers on transitioning the electricity grid to renewable energy. So my team has been in the New York State's leading solar developer for several years now. And in New York City, our primary development area for energy storage, we have currently the largest portfolio of projects under development. Um, and we've done that with a sterling safety record. And with each of our projects, we really seek to enrich the lives of the communities we enter. I think that's a really important motivator for the work that we do. Can you explain exactly what battery storage is and, and in particular why you and New Leaf Energy are looking to install these systems uh, here on Staten Island? Yeah, so um, energy storage is a utility connected battery. So they are very similar in chemistry to the batteries that listeners might use in their portable electronic devices. So they're just extra large versions of what's in your phone, essentially. Um, they connect to the utility grid to access overnight electricity from the grid and then add essentially a boost to the grid when it's needed most. So it discharges electricity to the grid primarily during afternoon hours when demand for electricity is high. So Folks are getting home from work and running their ACs, running a dishwasher, and all of those um, energy uses together becomes difficult for the grid to keep up with. So these systems are really um, intended to help with that challenge. New Leaf Energy is looking to install systems in Staten Island because it's a, a 
really a cost-effective solution is needed to solve the current instances of blackouts and brownouts that Staten Islanders regularly, regularly experience. Um, but we're not just developing in Staten Island. These projects are being installed across all boroughs and in downstate New York, um, all adding more resiliency and cleaner energy to the grid. So what do you see as the benefits of battery storage system, in particular to the people where you're where you're going to put these things? You know, I mean, in general, we we get the idea, but what about the folks who have to live with this thing, so to speak? Yeah, of course. It's a really good question. So um, the blackouts and brownouts that I mentioned are um, highly disruptive to folks, um, whether it's happening at your home or at a business. There's been plenty of instances um, written about and, you know, local newspapers about flower shop that lost it's um, all of its flowers right the, the day before a wedding and you know lost that business. It, the Italian ice place that has to shut down during the busiest times of the year, right? During the summer months when they can't refrigerate um, their product and have to close down. And those are really important days for that business uh, to flourish. And then, you know, if you're just, in your home, you can't run your AC and you're sitting in 95 degree weather, you can't really do very much. So um, really the this project is intended to improve and maintain the quality of life of having access to electricity, but improve it so that it's um, not disrupted as frequently and in the same way uh, during the summer hours. And then I think it's also really important to note that these systems are designed in such a way by the state and with the utility that local residents can subscribe through Con Edison to the projects and receive um, discounts on their utility bill. So they're able to save money on their electricity bill while this is a, develop a project developed by New Leaf Energy. So they're not paying for the installation. Yeah, that was that was going to be another follow-up question is will these systems raise our energy rates at all? That comes up all the time and no, it won't the way that typically these types of issues with the grid are addressed would be through an investment from Con Edison um, to add a new substation or to, um, you know, add more transformers or more capacity somewhere along the line. And those are the types of improvements that ultimately Con Ed customers have to pay for. But because this is a privately financed project, um, that none of that comes back to utility bills. So the ratepayers not paying for this new leaf energy is paying for this or whoever installs these yeah exactly right what do these systems look like are they are they big small you know where do you typically want to put them and a couple of questions sorry yeah but, yeah um, um 
and do, do you size them according to the need or you know do, do you oversize them so that you're planning on the future um and you've said you have installed at least one here on Staten Island if I'm not mistaken but mm -hmm. are they used in other places in the world as well yeah so um I guess just to start with what they look like so you can envision maybe like a a metal shipping container is probably the, the closest thing that I could say. Um, there's also plenty of metal utility boxes that are ubiquitous on our streets and neighborhoods and nobody really pays attention to. So they, I would say those, but nobody really <laughs> even pays attention to them. Um, they are a little bit larger than those in that they are um, about 30 feet wide and uh, nine feet tall, typically. Um, and then they are sized, so the containers just come as is and the projects, um, how many containers we put on in the given project is sized based on uh, the grid. So it's sized electrically. Um, so for example, most of our projects are five megawatts in electrical capacity, and that's about five of those containers I described, um, but grid characteristics might direct us to build something slightly smaller, three or four megawatt systems instead. Um, and all of that is based on feedback that we get from Con Edison on what is realistic, what's the need and um, what type of plans they have for that area that, um, you know, to like end up sizing the energy storage uh, project. So where the need is greatest for them to have reliable electricity is, is the point, right? Yeah, uh, I would say that Con Edison, so part of where we decide where we put these systems is that Con Edison has shown essentially specific areas where there's really high need and then also shown where, what time of day the additional support is needed. And I guess it also must be important to connect these where there's the major feeder lines or trunk lines, whatever they're, they're called. Like you're not gonna plug them into my, you know, outlet at, on the side yeah. of my house. Yep, so they are connected directly onto uh, basically the same lines that you would see running on major throughways. So um, they're at the same voltage level of some of the, you know, Victory Boulevard or Highland Boulevard, not necessarily um, those of in residential streets. So we're targeting as much as possible to be um, right off of those lines. Um. I guess the other part of that question is it, these are used all over the world or? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So energy storage is more common than you think, um, especially considering that it's not one of our oldest utility technologies. So there are many manufacturers that collectively have thousands of projects installed throughout the world. One of the primary manufacturers that we're designing in Staten Island, uh, for example, Tesla has over 2,000 of these types of systems deployed already. And then New York City, beyond the ones that I've installed, have many others. 
um, installed at shopping malls. There's one that you might not have even realize you were looking at at the TWA hotel at JFK. There's one there um, and just along, you know, regular streets throughout the city, including in Staten Island. So chances are if you're in Stan living in Staten Island or the outer boroughs, you've probably passed by one of them without realizing it. Yeah, it's like people don't pay attention to trees that are on the street because they're part of the furniture of the of the street. So yeah, um, I mean that is the the great thing about them is that you're there's not traffic coming through to them or anything. They are they are functioning very similar to how utility equipment does, right? That we don't really pay attention to or notice once they're installed. They're they're just there and helping us out. So what uh, we might hear from, from folks besides, is it going to raise my rate, is are there safety concerns with, with these things we don't understand that have electrons flowing through them, um, like things like noise, fire, air quality, and uh, are safeguards specifically built into these things, or is that a sort of after the fact idea? Um, no, I mean, they're absolutely built with safety in mind. So we take the safety of the residents near projects very seriously. And the battery systems that we use have a proven safety record. There's only a subset even of what's out there on the market today that we would consider from our for our projects based on the uh, safety measures that the manufacturers are implementing. We work with those manufacturers and they follow New York City's uh, fire department's codes and existing requirements. Uh, this set of requirements was developed over several years um, with meticulous evaluation and review by the fire department. There's actually a specialized department within the fire department to review and be the resident experts about energy storage and other types of new technologies uh, in New York City. So the types of requirements that they have are to have numerous levels of third-party testing and certification by uh, third parties like UL that you see on many electronics. Um, they also complete their own separate safety review, separate from what a typical project would go through with DOB um, and require that the systems have proper ventilation, they have proper exhaust, they come with um, fire alarm systems and detection systems, and then um, there are specific requirements around remote monitoring and communication. Um, and lastly, there's, there's many more um, safety requirements, but there also, if there is some type of emergency scenario uh, that needs to be responded to, the owner of the system is also required to have a minimum level of response time just to provide any, um, you know, site-specific information needed from any responding parties. We, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't safe and Certainly, the fire department wouldn't allow us to if it, if it wasn't saved. Um, they do work independently and um, 
their main priority is and always has been, and they've communicated this to us as developers, is the safety of New Yorkers. So um, today we're we're working with the fire chiefs that wrote the code and the teams that uh, continue to run the technology management team within FDNY to make sure that uh, anything and everything that we're putting on our projects is ensuring the proper safety for people nearby community members. So do they automatically shut down if something goes haywire in, in the in the Yeah, area? so there's uh, a part of the kind of remote monitoring that I mentioned is that there's several scenarios where they would shut down on their own. So one of them might be if um, the system starts getting hotter than its operating temperature, it will turn off the system's cooling systems will stay on. And if it'll attempt to cool down, if it's not, it will um, it will lock you out from trying to turn it back on and you'd have to go on site and actually um, fix whatever issue there is, or it won't turn on without that. Um, the systems are behind fen very tall fences, 10 to 14 feet uh, tall fences. So we don't anticipate that anybody would be able to access, but in you know the most remote scenario, if somebody was able to access them, uh, the cabinets are locked, but if you open them unauthorized and they're running, they will turn off automatically. And then um, in addition, there's there could be an outage on the Con Edison side and to protect the safety of workers working on the line, um, we have to follow Con Edison's uh, very strict standards for disconnecting and um, you, if essentially if Con Edison disconnects us from the grid, um, there's also remote sensing for a disconnection that automatically turns off the battery. Um, but if Con Ed disconnects it, we'd have to have an electrician or Con Edison go out to switch it back on manually. So there's a lot of safeguards where the system is going to sense, you know, specific scenarios and turn off by itself. It's important that workers are protected, uh, you know, it's something. Absolutely. Like Thank you for all that. That's uh, a lot, it sounds like a lot of safety built in and um, maybe even some redundancy, which is always important because inevitably something will go wrong and it's good that it can shut itself down or not be not be able to be turned back on and you know unless somebody's physically present to make sure there's not a you know issue there so that's good and, yeah and absolutely following the fire department's regulations too which um they, i think they know what they're doing hopefully <laughs> <laughs> yeah they absolutely do they are the leaders in throughout the country um there is no other jurisdiction that has as rigorous of safety standards. And um, I, we feel really confident, like you said, something can always happen, it's hard to predict. And so um, through this rigorous evaluation and, and testing, we know that they're designed to fail safely if that does happen. That's great, good to know. Now, um, maybe some 
bigger picture questions. So how will battery storage help um, New York and the country as a whole reach the goals of turning our electrical generating system into a non-polluting one? I mean, and what are we talking about here? If, if, we, if, if that goal is reached, do we need to have a million of these or, or what? Yeah. <laughs> So a million or not, I'm not sure, but the answer to the number is a lot. <laughs> so um, New York State's first goal for energy storage in particular um, was until recently three gigawatts um, or for the type of projects I'm developing about 600 of them. And earlier this year, that goal was doubled to six gigawatts. And that is just the 2030 goal. So um, the state and the city are fully behind energy storage because it is a key tool to um, clean up our electricity grid. And then in addition, there's continued growth in the city alongside aging infrastructure. This is a great way not only to clean up our existing grid, but make sure that future electricity needs are clean as well. Um, so with the introduction of offshore wind and continued solar PV upstate, energy storage is going to be used to keep the lights on when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. Um, that makes it an integral part of a clean electricity grid of the future. Um, but I would also say of now too. So our current mix of generation is obviously not always keeping brownouts from happening. Um, so while we're eagerly developing more renewable energy um, to come online, we can still use these systems to solve today's reliability challenges. Yeah, that was kind of a follow-up question too. What you're doing is primarily, it sounds like right at the moment, um, just trying to, to make sure that the, the system is reliable, the, the Con Ed doesn't well, us, we won't have blackouts and brownouts. Hopefully, if the you know the the um, battery storage can supply the added amount that might be needed on the on those hot days in the summertime, but um, we are trying to move towards renewable sources like wind and solar, and and the, these kind of storage units, uh, I imagine, also will help, as you just said. Um, make that type of system more reliable as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then I'll just say too, to add on more of the like clean grid aspect, one thing that I didn't mention is that because our systems are turning on in those very high constrained time periods, so middle of the summer, the hottest days, those are also the days that without an energy storage system, um, what are called peaker plants, which are fossil fuel generated um, power plants that only really run a couple of times of the year during those specific times of the year, those would come on. And so there's actually one in Staten Island on Victory Boulevard, depending on you, who you ask, it's not the most sightly feature of Staten Island and, um, these types of projects actively displace the need for those types of plants that are unsightly, that you know generate emissions, that are fossil fueled, and not 
uh, clean alternatives to our grid. So those are the, the dirtiest plants, those pico plants, because they were right. you know, used infrequently, so they may not have all the emission controls and they, they burn, I'm guessing, natural gas, but there may be some out there still burning oil. I don't know if there are still in New York City, but... Um, yeah, I I would also just add, so I think that that one is natural gas, but these systems, the, the battery energy storage systems are also taking overnight energy and that has a, a mix of sure natural gas, but also hydro power. And so those, that energy that would otherwise not be used, be wasted off is instead being used and brought into the grid exactly when it's needed most instead of a peaker plant. It, it, the plants have to run even if the electricity isn't being used and your your batteries can suck that up, I guess, is, is the oh, yeah. way of yeah. saying that and, yeah. and not waste that particular energy either. Uh, so that, that I think is an important thing that people might not think about. Um, and you mentioned, so you mentioned this before about 2030, that seems to be a date that that's the first deadline for the planet um, that we need to, to by that day, try to move away from um, uh, fossil fuels and into clean energy to, to slow down the, the carbon emissions into the atmosphere and hopefully put a, the tent tamp down global warming to an to an extent so do you see what you are doing yourself as helping to contribute to making that happen to make making the earth more livable at that date and not a a place where there's too high temperatures fires floods hurricanes all that stuff that's been going on yeah, um, I absolutely think that that's the the purpose of our of our projects. We're trying to tamp down as much of the impact of global warming as we can by 2030. Um, my personally, my career path has been greatly influenced by the challenge of global warming, and not only to address it, but to do it in a safe, equitable manner uh, that makes people's lives better, better than you know, what it is right now with fossil fuels. So I'm really proud to bring these solutions to communities like Staten Island that are already, unfortunately, feeling the brunt of global warming, right? You mentioned the storms, there's hotter than normal temperatures, and this, these projects, um, this shift towards adding more renewables with energy storage is an impactful backstop to slow global, global warming while also benefiting uh, surrounding communities from day one through resiliency benefits. Yes, I, I agree that I think what you're doing is really important and I, I hope there's a whole bunch of you out there uh, that, are, that are working on these things. So that's all the questions I had. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I think we covered everything. I'm I'm just really happy here to be here to speak about the resiliency benefits and how these projects are going to improve the lives of residents. These are safe um, alternatives to you know what would otherwise be a blackout that is disruptive to community members, and um, we're really 
we're really proud to, to bring them forth. Well, thank you again for what you do. And it was a pleasure speaking with you today. And um, hopefully we'll have you back at some point to talk about specifically some of the projects and, and um, how much progress we have made in, 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 the, in, in the coming weeks and months and year. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's get a tour on the books one of these days. <laughs> that would be fun. Karina, thank you so much for, for joining me today. And um, again, keep doing what you're doing. Great. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I want to thank my guest, Karina Solis, for sharing her knowledge about battery storage with us today. We hope this podcast has provided you with helpful information. Please share with your friends and listen again to, and now, a word from our environment.